This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools, and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can find out how they made their life better and how we can learn from their story and challenges. Today, we are super excited to be interviewing Jess Sermak. Jess is an author, speaker, and mum of five, and she coaches women all over the world to connect inwards and align with their true soul purpose. Lovely to have you today, Jess. I know uh, it's very late for you in Australia, so we, we really appreciate that you've come on and you've come to share your story with us. Such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Can you uh, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and your new book? In 2008, I um, had finished my double degree in law and international business and I had made the decision that it was time for me to give back to the world and I ventured over to Africa to do um, some volunteer work and it was the most exquisite trip that I've ever, ever done in my entire life. I went over on my own and I remember my mum saying to me right before I left, she's like, my umbilical cord doesn't stretch that far. I'm just, I'm so worried about you. But I, I did it. I went over there and um, I volunteered with um, beautiful little children um, under the age of five at a little um, daycare centre and they were the most gorgeous uh, little kids. And the point of me um, helping them was to teach them English because once um, I went over to Tanzania, which is just south of Kenya, and when they go to so primary school is all in Swahili, but when they go to high school, they have to do all their studies in English. So I don't know about you, but chemistry and physics were so hard in my native language, let alone learning it in a different language. Um, so it was all about teaching the kids English. And whilst I was over there, I, um, and I, I talk extensively about this in my new book, Becoming a Butterfly, it was, you know, about my travels to Africa and it was about, you know, me really connecting with community and connecting with my soul again. So I had this beautiful journey through Africa and long story short, I fell in love with a, a, a beautiful Maasai warrior. And so that's kind of where the journey began. But very tragically, um, upon my return home, I discovered that um, my mother was found deceased and what later evolved was that she'd actually committed suicide. So that's kind of where my story began. Yeah. Oh, God. It feels emotional. It feels that for you it was on a one-handed journey that was opening up many chapters in your life and quite frequently the universe has it right isn't it that one door closes another one opens so it feels to you that you had correct me if I'm wrong but it, I hear a little bit all the enthusiasm and happiness and joy of having come from this amazing adventure and touching base with your soul and finding your soulmate and then coming back home and finding that that piece of that soul was also breaking a little bit. Yeah, very much so. I think, um, you know, 
going to Africa and experiencing, you know, what I experienced. And I will just say that, you know, my book is broken up into four parts and it's, it's the evolution of the butterfly. I, for me, it was, you know, the beginning stages was birthing from the egg and that was my journey in Africa. And it was, you know, coming out of myself because I think for many of us, um, you know, we're taught as, as young girls to grow up, get the grades, get the good job. And I did. I, I got the great job. I was a lawyer at a very prestigious law firm here on the Gold Coast. So that was my, that was my caterpillar journey. And then, and then I, I went to Africa and I was giving back and I was, you know, I, I described this as, you know, really birthing myself. And then the second stage of my book, I talk about the, um, you know, when the caterpillar grows and they consume so much food and they grow so much. And this was my spiritual growth. And this was me going through the storm of everything that happened to me in losing my mum. Because for somebody that has ever lost somebody, it is such a personal journey. It's such a growing journey. And, and for me, that year, it wasn't just losing my mum to suicide. I lost my mum to suicide in January of 2009. And then six months later, my beautiful um, childhood friend, he decided to take his life as well. And then, you know, my beautiful puppy, well, he wasn't a puppy, he was 12 years old, but he'll always be my puppy. He passed away. And then at the end of that year, I discovered that I was pregnant, which was completely unexpected to my Maasai boyfriend um, after using two forms of contraception. Um, And then a family friend passed away as well. So it was a really tough year for me. And then I talk about in my book, the third stage of becoming a butterfly. And that was the chrysalis stage where, yes, all of these things had happened to me, but in order for me to survive and to move forward, I had to go inside. I had to wrap myself in in the silk and encase myself and just really go internal. And, and that's where I, you know, I developed spiritually and I, um, you know, had to understand what it was that I needed from my soul and my spirit team. And then the final stage was really, you know, becoming a butterfly. And that's, I guess, why I called it becoming a butterfly, because it was about me finally embracing who I was and allowing my story, because it it was, it was really difficult to expand my purpose and my passion. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it just um, really makes you realise how you can go through something so horrific and through that process you can still come out the other side and, you know, make magic in the world, which is what you're doing now by helping people move forward. And that is such a beautiful story. I just want to touch on losing your mum is difficult at any time, but losing to suicide is something that it is even harder to imagine. I'm assuming there was lots of questions, you know, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Could I have saved her? What could you say to our listeners that might be going through anything that, you know, where they feel they can't help somebody? And you're exactly right. I think the number one question that I had after her death was just why, you know, I was 24 years old. My brother was 22. My sister was 20 and my other brother was 18. And 
unfortunately, my mum's suicide wasn't just a straight suicide. When the police knocked on my door, they basically just said to me that, you know, she was, they'd, they'd found her and that she was deceased. And that's all the information that they could give us. Um, what transpired over the coming days, and unfortunately, and it kind of still, you know, upsets me that um, I think the police involved in the investigation felt sorry for us because we were so young, was that um, she had been attacked prior to her actually, you know, passing from this world into the next. Apparently at 6 o'clock she had ingested some tablets, um, but this man had found her and gone into the room where she was lying and um, attacked her with a fiberglass rod. Some people had pulled him off of her and said, you know, you you can't do that. And then he's, you know, calmed down, gone back into the room and then used a ceramic mug and done quite extensive damage to her face Um, and then these people have pulled him off her again and then he's gone back again and attacked her again and and she wasn't dead at this time and so for us it was really this struggle between I think because I was a lawyer and I believed in justice Mm. that it was this real struggle between having to deal with this aspect of suicide that you know she wanted to end her life but also this aspect of she didn't get her fairy tale happy ending. And I think for many of us, particularly women, we read all these beautiful books about princesses and they meet these, you know, princes and they live happily ever after. And I think for me, it was a real struggle because here I was, 24 years of age, think, thinking she didn't get her happy ever after. And the other thing was that he never called an ambulance and, and he just left. And she was laying there for, so that happened at 6pm, they, they suggest, and then um, he didn't call an ambulance until between 12 and 1am. And 1 1 and so it was just this, these emotions of having to deal with what he did and what she did and trying to marry the two up. But I think, you know, for people who are struggling with something like that. And I do talk about this extensively in my book, Becoming a Butterfly, that suicide is a solution to a a temporary problem. You know, I know what it's like. My sister and I, shortly after my mum died, we, you know, we made a pact. We were like, we, we, you know, with everything that was going on in the courts and what this guy had done to her, we made this pact together and we were like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, let's just end it. Let's just do it together and, and be done with it because, you know, my mum had committed suicide and actually my, sadly, my grandmother had committed suicide. So I was like, okay, well, you know, suicide runs in the family. Let's just go with this. Mm. But for us, it was um, trying to find hope. Mm. And I think that's what all of us need is this sense of hope, just to hold on to something. Mm. and. Um, the research that I did, because in trying to understand her death, the research that I did was that every single person who had attempted suicide and survived had regretted it. The moment that they attempted something or, you know, had near-death experiences, they'd all been like, oh my God, you know, profanities, insert profanities, (laughs) what the heck have I done? Do you know what I mean? So, it, it was, it was a full-on experience and, 
you know, having have gone through that on a personal level with losing somebody so close to you to that and then, you know, going through that on such a personal level, it was huge. Yeah. I, I want to thank you first, Jess, for sharing that with us and being so vulnerable. I, I you know, I don't think this gets talked as much as it should. And I think what you just did with us is something, you know, definitely to feel proud of. Uh, to have been able to share with that. And I know that even just that bit will hopefully help many people listening to us today. So first off, I wanted to acknowledge that and recognize the strength and the value of that. It definitely doesn't go without being seen. Um, And to say that I've got goosebumps is, you know, the understatement of the year. But I want to touch upon something that you just mentioned, which is hope, which I also think is one thing that gets overseen uh, so frequently. So I guess my first question would be, where did you find that hope to carry on through and that strength to carry on through and decide, no, I'm not going car- to go with this pact that I just made and I'm choosing to stay here on this life with this life that, I've, that I'm living. And how do you find the, the hope and the strength to, I'm supposing to a certain extent, forgive what had happened and put it behind you? Mm, So I think I'm going to talk about the forgiveness first. (laughs) Um, The forgiveness, I guess, you know, I do believe in in soul lessons. I I truly do. I believe that each of us are, are sent here to live and to experience, you know, significant lessons. And there is no compassion if you haven't felt pain. So for me, the forgiveness was a, it was a huge life lesson to forgive this man for what he had done to my beautiful mother who was, you know, she was divine. She was wise. She was gorgeous. She was stunningly beautiful. And, yeah, to, to process this forgiveness. And honestly, I, I can sit here today 11 years on and say, I do, I forgive him and I wish him all the best but it it certainly wasn't that, you know, 11 years ago, but it was a process. And it started off with me saying simply, very simply, just saying, you know, at nighttime, just before I went to bed, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I didn't believe it at first. Of course, I didn't believe it at first because I hated his guts for what he did and for the pain that he'd caused me. You know, there were flow effects from, from what he did. One of those things being that um, we couldn't bury my mum with all of her body parts because it was a criminal investigation. So they had to hold on to certain body parts. And and I hated him for that. But it was that process of just starting off with, you know, speaking it into existence. I forgive you. I forgive you. And then slowly over time, it was the processing and the understanding that we're all human. We all make mistakes. I've certainly made plenty of mistakes. I'm a mum of five kids. You know, I am certainly, you know, not perfect. I I endeavoured to do my very best every day, but I'm not perfect and I do make mistakes just like everybody, you know, in this world. And so I would encourage anybody who is feeling that deep, deep, deep pain and that hatred towards anybody to try not to pass judgment because often what happens, I think, is we get caught up too much in what they've done rather than the story Mm. because we all have a story we all have 
something that's happened to us or, you know, a past. We all have that. And I don't know what, you know, what happened to this poor man for him to be in this position to have done what he'd done. And that's not for me to judge him. You know, if you believe in God or you believe in the universe or you believe in the spiritual divine, I do believe in karma. And, you know, that's not for me to sit there and be, you know, God Almighty and to judge him. It's just simply for me to forgive him. And the other answer to your question about hope, how did I find hope? Gosh, it was hard in that year because it was just, it felt like, you know, the year from, from hell, it really did. You know, I lost, um, you know, I'd worked seven years. I did a double degree in law and international business. I'd got my dream job. Um, you know, everything was falling into place until all of this happened. And then it was like someone had just stood there and smashed my life and it shattered into a thousand pieces. And I remember just thinking like I was sitting on a picnic rug with all of these shattered pieces of glass and feeling like I was expected to piece them all back together. And like that's an impossibility, really. And so I had to realise that that was my life before but it was up to me to determine what my life was going to be moving forward. And, you know, I did, I had my pity party and that's okay. Everyone's entitled to their pity party. You know, we can sit and wallow and grieve and feel into those emotions. And I believe that everybody is entitled to do that. But at some point, at some point, you have to move past that and you have to make a decision to move forward. And so for me, it was, my son was uh, five months old and this son that I, I never wanted children, by the way. Um, yes, I know. That is calm, that. I guess. It's calm, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, and I remember sitting in this, I had this beautiful rocking chair um, that somebody had gifted to me. And it was uh, the point where I had actually got um, Josh's, his name is Joshua, um, my beautiful, heart, he's half Maasai um, and half Australian. Well, yes. Um, and I was, he'd, I just got his dad back over from Tanzania and we were going to try and make this work. And I'd found out that he was adhering to the Maasai culture. So he had multiple women on the go, which we decided wasn't, wasn't the plan. So it was like, it was horrible because I found out he was cheating on me, you know, and then he tried to commit suicide himself and Josh was five months old. And I remember sitting in this rocking chair at late at night and all of this drama had just unfolded. And there was, you know, I was just, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, I think what I was crying about was that I felt like such a shitty mum because I couldn't give him a mum and a dad and a traditional family. And I remember this voice coming to me and saying, but whose dream is that? That's not Josh's dream. You know, he just, he just needs a mum who's happy and gives him milk and loves him. What you're holding on to is your dream. And sometimes dreams don't always work out the way that we need to work out. In that moment, I knew that I had to put my big girl panties on 
And even though being a single mum was the scariest thing in the entire world for me, I had to do it. And, and that's where I got the hope. In that moment, that's where I really, that's where I got the hope. And I digested every single personal development book that I could get my hands on. I YouTubed. I went back to uni. I was going to do my PhD in law. Uh, so I was just like, you know, I'm going to do this, you know? So yeah, that's where I got the hope from in, in that, in that rocking chair, which I believe was my mum saying to me, you know, you've got to pick up your big girl pants and just, you know, get on with it. What I'm hearing is such a strength of human spirit though. Always something just kept moving you forward and you you did spend that time in that deep reflection. I mean, for me, it's just, you can help so many people now because it's easy for someone who's not gone through so much to say, come on, you can move forward. It's okay. But someone who's gone through so much and to say, look, I've pulled myself together. It's okay. There is light at the end of the tunnel or there is wings. We can fly eventually if we do process this pain and we look for all the good in the world and all the beauty we can move forward I mean I feel like I don't like to say you're supposed to go through all this but it feels like it gives such deep meaning to why you've been through so much because I'm I'm looking at a woman on the screen who's got so much joy you know you haven't stopped smiling since you've come on and even when you've been telling your story you've been so beautifully energized and I think that's uh, brilliant teacher for us all that whatever going we're going through in our daily life things can get better if we look at it through the eyes of you know better eyes basically that there's lots of there's you know there's opposites in the world isn't there there's good and there's bad and there's abundance and there's scarcity and if we uh, live from a place of there's more good and there's bad then we feel more good Mm, I truly truly believe that And I think the other thing is that, you know, we can choose to, you know, use our story to expand our purpose and our power, or we can choose to fall victim to it. Mm. And I guess for me, I did. For the initial parts, I I fell victim to it. I used it as an excuse to hold me back. But in that moment and that, you know, sitting in that rocking chair and, and really, analyzing the situation and who I wanted to be for this, not only our, our, our children, our children, but their, you know, their souls. They'll, you know, Josh, you know, he turned, gosh, he turned 10 in August. So he's not a baby anymore, but who did I want to be for him? What kind of, you know, person did I want to show him to be in the future? And one of the big things that I did that truly, truly helped me, which I feel will, will help many people who feel like, you know, is there hope? Can I go on? Is that I wrote down, um, and it took me a few nights because there was a lot for me, everything that I disliked about myself, things that people had said to me over the years, um, things that I had told myself, stories that I had had told myself, you know, things that I went through workplace, I went through my, my adolescence, my schooling, I went through a lot of things and I wrote all these things that people had said about me that were, that were negative um, and I wrote them down on a piece of paper and it was multiple pieces of paper for me and then I waited for the full moon and I took them outside 
and I just burned them. I burned them because they weren't true. They were just things that were holding me back. They were things that were blocking me. And the most profound things started happening to me afterwards. One of those being that I felt the need to call in the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, obviously the relationship that I had had. And um, you can read more about, you know, what, what happened with my relationship with the Maasai warrior in my book. But I deserve to have a relationship that was, you know, made me happy, made me joyful, and made me excited. But my best friend, I remember my best friend saying to me, you know, no one's ever going to want you after having a baby and, and you know, having a Maasai boyfriend. You realise that, don't you? And I was like, what? what? And so I made this decision to write down exactly what I wanted in this new man. But one of the things that I forgot, and please, ladies, if you're going to do this, make sure you put their age. Because <laughs> I, I have, um, I'm married to a beautiful, beautiful man now um, who is exactly everything on this list down to the eye colour and the hair colour, but I forgot to put his age. And so he is younger than me and I did, I would have ideally liked someone who's older than me. So, yeah. Note to self, make sure you, you know, put down the age. <laughs> it's quite funny that you said that though, because I, I actually did similar when I met, before I met my husband, I kept meeting guys after guys that weren't really the right guy. And, and I wrote down, you know, what I wanted in a guy. And then I started behaving the way I, you know, they say behave the way you want to attract somebody else. And I started doing that and, you know, it wasn't long before I did meet my Prince Charming and he is my Prince Charming. It's not perfect. No one's perfect. We're all human. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm loving yeah. hearing in your story, yes, is that at some point, and I think this is something we forget to do quite frequently, especially as women, is have that sit down with yourself and kind of breaking down and saying, okay, look, yes, what has happened is tragic. I wouldn't have wished for it to happen, but it is here. So I've got two options. Either I'm carrying on with this victim story that I'm telling myself and I'm letting my past define my future or I've got this choice to make and I'm deciding to bet on me and I'm deciding to love me first. And I think that is such a powerful turnaround, like even to the point of you burning those things that were not true about yourself and I don't think many women are ready to let that story go so do you have any tips for those women wanting to let that story go but not quite finding the way or the strength to do it I think the number one thing um that I swear by um and you know as an intuitive life coach is gentleness I think, you know, as women, we are so, so hard on ourselves, um, in my opinion, more so than men. You know, we're so critical of our bodies and our abilities and, and our achievements, yet, hello, we birth, you know, for most of us, we birth them, you know, miracles into the world. We are exquisite. We are divine beings. There is nobody on the face of this planet and there has never been anybody else who's walked the face of this planet who are exactly like you. 
And I honestly just believe that, you know, your story is your power and your story is your purpose. You know, you've gone through what you've gone through for a reason. And I strongly, 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 strongly believe that each of you are divine beings and you need to make a decision. Do you want to use your story to expand your purpose and your passion or do you want to use your story to hold you back? And that's a decision. And if you're not ready to move forward, that's fine because it's in your own time. It's so important to do everything in your own time. But if you're ready to stop, you know, using your story as an excuse, then do it. Move into your purpose and your passion and, and, and you know, use that story as the fuel to ignite the fire for you to move forward. I love the fact that you said do it with, you know, kindness. That nurturing energy is what, you know, women do best. So why do we not give it to ourselves? You know, it's, yeah, we use that beautiful energy to push you forward and bring that joy to your life. I'm still curious when you move forward, whether you had a coach or a therapist or someone you spoke to, to help you really understand yourself or did you just go within? Uh, initially, obviously, as a single mother um, who wasn't working at the time, I, I had to, you know, really, you know, use the books. And, and I did. I invested money into the books and the, the um, you know, Googling and online. But as soon as I got the money, I knew I am important and I need to invest in me. You know, we invest so much time into our kids. We invest so much time into our relationships. We invest so much time into our businesses, but we fail to invest, you know, money and time into the most important relationships in our lives, the ones that we have with ourselves. And so I'm a strong believer in investing both time and money into the relationship that we have with ourselves. That's a beautiful beautiful way of putting it and one that I hope encourages many people to start as you say what it is by reading books listening to this podcast buying your book in particular which I'm sure I mean I for one I'm going to be doing it because I want to know what happened with that Masai (laughs) (laughs) but you know the important thing is that you take those steps that are gonna help you progress and move forward and become that butterfly that you were destined to be all along So I think for anybody listening today, if you take one thing away, let it be just take one step, as tiny as it feels, but it could be the step that transforms your life forever. So don't deny yourself that. Don't deny that joy, that happiness that really is waiting for you. Mm. Jess, it has been lovely to have you. And I know that we're going to have plenty of people willing to connect with you. So could you let us know how can they reach out or where can they find you? So I can, I'll put the links of all of those in, in the comments. So please check them out. But where can they find you? Well, I'd be honoured to connect with your beautiful community. Um, so you can find me on my website. It's a beautiful website, www.jesssermak.com. Or you can find me on Instagram, jess.sermak and Facebook, jesssermak. Super. Well, make sure to put that there and the link to your book, as I said. 
That's amazing, Jess. Thank you. We've, it's been a beautiful story. Um, yeah, I feel very privileged that you managed to join us today and you're so brave and authentic and just keep up the good work. It's, it's just, yeah, heartwarming to hear that someone's turned such pain into such passion. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for having me. It's just such an honour to be able to connect with you and, and to be able to share my story. Thank you so much. And thank you to our audience for one more week, for listening to us, for showing up and showing your love and appreciation. And please share the love. Share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit from it. Like, leave a comment and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe and stay inspired. Much love.